Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know, I don't bring you just normal topics when it comes to job searching and, you know, finding that great fit. I like to like circle around the edges. So I think I've got a real interesting topic for us today. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Pilar Gerasimo, author of The Healthy Deviant, award-winning health journalist and former CCO and editor. Pilar's goal is to be healthy in an unhealthy world and to guide others to be that way too. So thanks for joining us today, Pilar. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you. I know we were having a real exciting conversation beforehand, which I will not repeat, but, <laughs> but you were very helpful when it came to health. So I appreciate it. <laughs> That's my job. That's my passion. And it's really something we can all connect about because I don't really know anybody who's not concerned about their health and the health of their loved ones and their yes. colleagues. It's a central issue for most people right now. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, not to hone in on the pandemic, but that has really, you know, we've seen people, what do they call it? The COVID-19 where people, because they're sitting at home, they're not out moving, um, not as much right now, but in the past two years, you know, they've gained that. I was one of them. I gained that weight, you know, from sitting at home and not moving from my desk. Because when does work end when you're at home all the time, right? Pretty much never, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, and it, it proves a point, I think, which is that most weight gain is a symptom of something else, which is the way we're living. And the way we're living is really the focus of my work. Um, because I think so often we live in a world where the focus is on the goal of losing the weight. And we forget that what produced the excess weight, what produced the inflammation, the depression, the anxiety, are the conditions, our circumstances of life. And that's really where the change needs to happen. That's where we have influence. So true. Okay. Before we dive into the meat, I'm going to ask you a question. And this is the question I like to ask everybody at the beginning of the show. How did we get connected? (laughs) And the answer is, I don't exactly know. But you know what is interesting about that, Marissa, is that there is a tendency for people to hear about the, the topic of my book, which is The Healthy Deviant. The name of the book sticks in their mind. The concept is compelling to them. They reach out. We start a conversation. And by the time we get partway in, no one even remembers how we first heard about each other or connected. So I wish I had the answer to that. And I don't actually know. But I'm glad to be in touch with you now. <laughs> well, you know what? And I have a feeling that it was Laura Day Benedetto, and I'm not positive that's who it was, but I just kind of have a feeling that's who it was that said, you know, you know, um, Pilar, meet Casey, Casey, meet Pilar, you know, you two need to be in touch. Yeah. But even if it wasn't, I kind of feel like you two probably know each other, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this after this. Normally I've, I would have already made a note of this because I actually keep a networking notebook 
so that I can keep up with those connections and thank the people that introduced me to great people like you. So um, we're going to figure it out and we're going to put it in the show notes or and we'll definitely tag that person on social when we uh, go to post this episode. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your health story and how you got to where you are today. Yes, well, I describe my personal health journey as a riches to rags to riches story. And by that, I mean, I started out as a pretty healthy kid. I was really lucky that both my parents were healthy and valued health. And we lived a pretty healthy lifestyle. I grew up on an organic farm, mostly in the middle of Wisconsin. My mom and her best friend raised their kids together in an intentional community where we raised most of our own food and played outside, didn't have television. We were really a pretty um, idyllic environment to raise kids in. So. I had a lot going for me from the beginning, but what happened to me is what happens to a lot of people. The more I tried to go along with what passes for normal, like I went to school and tried to be like the other kids, and then as I grew up and became an adolescent, I tried to pay attention to what was going on in the media and all of the presentations of ideals and models of beauty. And by the time I became a young woman, I was much less healthy. I was more stressed. I was yo-yo dieting to try to manage my weight. I've never had a weight problem until I started dieting. Well, thank goodness when I stopped dieting, my system bounced back to, to normal. Um, but I found that the more I tried to comply with the ideals of my society and the messages I was getting about who I had to be, what I had to do, how I had to look, the less healthy and happy I got. So for me, I, I kind of hit a rock bottom moment in my late 20s, early 30s. Um, one day in particular in my early 30s where I got so frustrated with myself that I stomped my foot on the wooden floor of my apartment hard enough that I ended up breaking a bone in my foot. Oh my and yeah, exactly. Oh my God. And that was such a shock to me on the one hand. And on the other hand, I really had this set of epiphanies as the result of that bone breaking. And in short form, they were basically one, oh my God, like you just said, I just broke myself. I mean, Casey, that's a scary thing to have happen. And then second of all, I realized, wait a second, I've actually been breaking myself for a long time. And I looked back at the history of my symptoms, all the rashes, the stomach aches, I was losing the eyelashes on one eye from stress. And I realized I've been breaking my body down for the last 10, 15, 20 years. I've just been trying to not pay attention to that and suppress the symptoms, you know, deal with it. Um, and the third big insight I had that really led to me doing all of the work I've done ever since is that, you know what, I'm not alone in this. Everybody I know is suffering from excess stress, excess inflammation, weight problems of one kind or another. And we are suffering together because of the circumstances of our lives. We are living together in ways that are not sustainable or really rewarding. And I became determined to figure out a different way to live. Now, ironically for me, that meant returning to some of the values of my childhood, eating mostly whole foods, having a less stressful lifestyle by choice, managing some of my decisions, and also recognizing that the conditions of our society are a big part of what was making it hard for me and others to be healthy and happy. So I've embarked on a whole journey ever since then. That was, you know, 20 some years ago. I turned 55 in January. And I'm happy to say I feel healthier and happier now by far <laughs> than I did in my 20s. Wow. That is so amazing. And I love that you're talking about how the circumstances and not just current circumstances. I mean, these circumstances have been around us for years and years and years because you're talking about something that happened 20 years ago. Yes. So 
you know, out of all this came your best-selling book. It's called The Healthy Deviant. So tell us, what is a healthy deviant? I always like to show it. Yes. <laughs> I show it in part because I want to show it's not scary. Well, it's like a happy little face. <laughs> normally, I would have the book, but I had to get yours so quickly that I had to do it on Kindle. So. Oh, well, that's lovely. Thank you yeah. for getting it on Kindle. So yeah, the book, um, what is a healthy deviant is a great question. And I always like to acknowledge that the term deviant in our society, it first instinct response is like, eh, I don't want to be a deviant. But to me, a deviant is anybody who differs from the norms of their society. And right now, what is considered normal, statistically speaking, is actually very unhealthy. Mm. And, and I'll give you a couple of statistics I share in the first chapter of the book, which is like 50% to 60% of US adults have been already diagnosed with at least one chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So more people diagnosed with chronic illness than not. 70% taking prescription drugs on a regular basis, 80% not thriving emotionally and mentally. We see that, and that number actually climbed to 89% during the height of the pandemic. And this is a really creepy number to me, 97.3% of US adults aren't practicing even the most basic healthy habits that they would need to practice in order to maintain their health and their happiness for the long haul. So if you really think about it, that means we're a single digit percentage of the population. People who are healthy and happy and on track to stay that way represent less than 3% of the US adult population. So being a deviant in that context is really a survival strategy. And I think rather than being punished or feeling ashamed of being different and choosing a different path, we need to celebrate that and consider it a badge of, of courage, really, um, because it's not always easy to do things differently than everyone else around you is doing them. But we can see where that path leads. And I don't think it's where most of us want to go. As we saw during COVID too, there's beyond just feeling crappy and having problems in your day-to-day -day life. When your health isn't good, it puts you at risk of all kinds of greater uh, problems when, you know, for example, pandemics come around <laughs> yeah. or you're exposed to different stresses like an accident or injury. So um, yeah, so that's my definition of a healthy deviant is anyone who willingly defies unhealthy norms and conventions with the purpose of becoming a healthier, happier person, and particularly maybe healthier and happier than is considered normal or average in our society right now. So I wanna ask you if this is an example of a healthy deviant, okay? okay. So I don't know if we talked about this in our pre-interview chat, but my boyfriend, Steve Rutherford, is an Ironman. Yeah. I think that's about as deviant as you can get when it comes to health, <laughs> would you agree? <laughs> Yes. So, and, and triathletes and um, people, elite athletes, they get a pass for being different often because it's accepted that that's their passion. You know, if you're yeah. an Olympic athlete, obviously everything you're going to do is different than what most people would do. I would expand the definition to include someone like your, your boyfriend and also someone who maybe not is not currently terribly healthy or happy, but who is choosing to move in that direction, even against the resistance that they meet every day. And that includes the vast majority of people I know. The challenge is that in our society, we have such a limited view of what healthy and happy looks like. And it's always what you see in stock photography or in health and fitness commercials. You know, the ideals are so strict. 
And I really think, you know, the person who is trying to drop a lot of unwanted weight, the person who's trying to beat a chronic depression or illness, the person who comes from a long history of unhealthy family behaviors and patterns that's deciding to deviate from those norms and tendencies, in my mind, qualifies as a healthy deviant. I actually have a, a, a quiz called, Are You a Healthy Deviant Quiz, <laughs> where people can find out for themselves where they fall on that spectrum of healthy deviants. But it's much more about the attitude attitudes and, um, and values and principles and priorities of, of an individual than it is about how they look or how athletic they are, for example. But I bet you anything, yeah, your, your guy would probably qualify. <laughs> I think so. I mean, two and three workouts a day, come on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that brings up a really interesting point, which is there's a reason more people aren't exercising more. I mean, most of us feel better when we were, when we mm -hmm. are moving. Our bodies are designed to move. Our DNA needs to move, as my friend Katie Bowman explains. The thing is, is that our world isn't set up to support that. And so someone who chooses to make athleticism a really big part of their life has to do a lot to carve out that time and make that a priority. And it can be a real privilege to have the access to time and resources that allow you to do that. So many people in our society right now are barely making ends meet and are really struggling with work-life balance, so-called work-life balance, um, in ways that really undermine even their most basic attempts to take decent care of themselves, eating whole food, moving a couple of times a day, getting some rest breaks, getting enough sleep. These are really challenging things to pull off the way we live right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to bring this back to the job seeker. So what, and because, you know, we do, we're recruiters, we're talking to people who are looking to get jobs. And so, and people are probably thinking, health, Casey, you have gone way out on the edge, but really, I don't think I have. So what helpful advice can you give a job seeker who's been living an unhealthy lifestyle because of the stress of looking for a job? Yeah, that's such a great question. Well, first of all, I think it's really important to remember, and, and this can sound um, tough, <laughs> but it's true, that people who are not healthy are often discriminated against if they're visibly recognizably not healthy they're often so discriminated true. against because of their lack of, of evident vitality and whether it's a conscious discrimination and prejudice or an unconscious one it can put you at a disadvantage if your health is deteriorated to the point that you look like you're not capable that you look like your capacity is diminished you don't look like you could be focused or counted on to show up on a regular basis for example also, you know, employers, I think, subtly evaluate how big of a risk is this person, you know, mm -hmm. to the to the flow of work, to their reliability, to healthcare costs, all of those things. I'm not saying that anybody deserves to be discriminated on that basis. I'm just saying, and the higher you go in the ranks of executive ranks, the more the correlation of career success and health are tied. Um, so that's, first of all, important to know that a lot of folks, I think, make a mistake of thinking, I'm not going to worry about my health until I'm successful. <laughs> I'm just going to sacrifice my health until I can climb the corporate ladder enough. Then I'll have resources and time to manage my health and my well-being. It's not a good trade-off for all of the reasons you can imagine. The other thing I'll say is that a lot of what it requires for you to go out and successfully interview, network, manage relationships, stay on top of the job search is a certain amount of focus, energy, attention, vitality, confidence. And those things come, those things come much more easily when you're physically and mentally and emotionally healthy. 
So the third thing I'll say is the, the patterns of living that support you in retaining your health and improving it over time are a lot of the same patterns that really serve you in your career, like making a clear set of priorities, managing a daily schedule, being able to notice when you're becoming depleted or reactive mm -hmm. as the result of being overworked and over freaked out and how that's affecting your presentation of self every single day. Most people that I know, you ask them, who do they get along with best? Who do they like working with best? Who can they count on the most at work? They're people who can manage their day-to-day -day living experience as well, even under challenges, even in the face of obstacles. So it's, it does make sense to some extent that people can kind of do a, an evaluation of how you're operating in your own daily life as it is presented by your evident health. Again, that's not all that meets the eye. Many times people are not healthy who look healthy and vice versa, um, but there are correlations. And so you tend to be most successful both at going out and finding opportunities and at succeeding in them when your physical, mental, emotional, and other types of health are on board. I think that is so true. And I love what you just said about, you know, the people that you work with and that you look to, because it just reminded me of one of my coworkers that, you know, he's so easygoing and just so go lucky. And I'm like, why aren't you thinking about work after five o'clock? Because he just shuts it down. That's his mentality. <laughs> he can go on vacation and not check his email once. It will drive me insane. But he is probably one of the happiest and healthiest people that I know. He goes out at night, he plays soccer, he does all this. When he's at work, he works hard. But when he's not, he's really focusing on himself and not yeah. on other things. And so that really just kind of brought that up for me. I was like, I need to be more like that. Not need. I want <laughs> to be more like that. I want to be more like, and, and I will tell you, like, my morning routine is, I'm very protective of my morning routine. I do not start my day until I'm ready. And I don't, and I'm not ready until I am calm, collected. I've meditated. I've got clarity of mind. I've calmed down the monkey brain. Then I'm ready to go, right? Yeah. But not so much at night. I don't shut it off so well at night. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because in my book, I talk about three renegade rituals that are practices that I encourage everyone to embrace in part because they're really good for you. And in part because in the process of adopting them and maintaining them, you actually build the skills and and capacity that you need to, to be a healthy, happy person in any part of your life, including what you just talked about, which is like setting a clear boundary and having a, a re repeatable routine that produces good results for you. So I'm a big fan of a morning minutes practice, I call it. It can be as short as three minutes. And I do mine every day before I have plugged into any kind of social media or news or email or anything. Um, and my practice is just, I light a beeswax candle, I get a cup of coffee and I sit. And I then decide, what do I want to do? Do I want to meditate? Do I want to do yoga? Do I want to listen to the birds, play my guitar, pet my dog? It doesn't matter as long as I take at least three minutes to just gather myself and then decide how, you know, maybe I extend the practice or do something else that's, that's resuscitating for me. But going into my day that way, just like you said, is really, really helpful. I also practice a routine I call ultradian rhythm breaks, which are taking regular breaks throughout the day, every hour and a half to two hours to let my body replenish, reset, rebalance, let my brain get reorganized. That really helps me a lot. And then that final one is called the nighttime wind down practice. And it's kind of like, if you come up this way gradually, you want to go down gradually too. It's things like practicing a digital sunset, 
bringing the lights in your house down, the volume, the intensity, the pace, the temperature, everything comes down and you just move more slowly. And it's incredible the difference it makes in people's quality and, excuse me, their quality and their quantity of sleep, as well as just their peace of mind. The thing that I think is really cool, and you've noticed this, Casey, is that when you make a decision to run any part of your day this way, you discover you do have the autonomy, you have mm -hmm. the capacity to make sensible decisions for yourself. And as you practice it, it gets easier. So the fact that you already have a morning practice to me tells me you'd be a great candidate to institute an evening one. It's just gonna take probably practice and reminders and you know things of inserting and initiating a different routine than the one you have right now, but it can be done. Turn my and you're phone a successful off. professional, so you know you can do the things you set your mind to. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. And I think it's more of a, I need to work on the need to satisfy my clients immediately and work on the fact that they can wait till tomorrow. Nobody's yeah. going to die, you know, those kind of things. So, yes. So another question for you, what kinds of unhealthy habits do people tend to turn to when they are overwhelmed or stressed and how can you create and stick with those healthy habits we're talking about instead? Yeah. Well, I think most of the things that we've all noticed as under stress, we tend to eat way more unhealthy foods, particularly um, those are high in sugar and refined carbohydrates, things that qualify as comfort foods a lot of the times. They combine sugar, salt, and fat. Exactly. <laughs> and some people's pizza, some people's donuts, you know. Caffeine and sugar and refined carbohydrates are um, the most common things. And there's a really good reason for that, which is that when we go into stress response, Everything like our cortisol and our blood sugar, our adrenaline, our insulin get wildly imbalanced. And the net result is that our systems go, we're in danger. We can't count on anything being safe for a while. So we're going to hoard calories, hoard food that we think we our, our bodies and minds think we might have access to because we're in full survival mode in our minds. And then what happens, of course, is that the net result of eating that food makes us more inflamed less capable, less balanced. Um, and inevitably you get off on that crazy cycle of feeling hungry when you just ate, never being able to feel like you're satisfied, eating more and more unhealthy foods that then just create the vicious cycle, or what I call the downward spiral, of also leaving you feeling ashamed and out of control. Like, what just happened? Why did I do that? What I noticed, and I talk about this in my book, was when I started confronting my own, what I call trouble patterns. I realized that they happened in predictable times and predictable intervals. At the end of a, like a hard day, I had a long commute home. I would be much more likely to stop and get snacks to eat in the car. And I didn't feel good about doing that, but it was almost like an insatiable response to the stress I'd just been through. When I started to break that trouble down and notice that if I took a break to have a healthy snack a couple of hours before that end of day commute, I was much more successful in not losing my mind on the way home or getting home and watching TV and feeding myself food I didn't want to eat for my own health because I wanted to numb out. I just wanted to have the comfort of eating in this pride of like shame-based way you know, I didn't want to be conscious. I would only do it in front of the television. And those patterns, when I really started evaluating them and started talking to friends about them, realized we all tend to do that. We eat in ways, drink in ways, operate in ways that are not in our best interest. When we've gone past our own 
place of surplus, when we've eaten into our own reserves enough mm -hmm. that our bodies and minds think they're in panic mode and danger mode. And the, the response is basically what we all have seen. Um, you can look at someone's face a lot of times and see inflammation and um, puffiness showing up as the result of those kinds of habits, not necessarily even just from weight gain, but from inflammation being caused by these kinds of patterns, salt, sugar, fat, alcohol in the system messing with us. And I just think, again, that's a symptom. When I look in the mirror and I see someone I see is like kind of starting to fall apart. I have to like, Pilar, what have you been doing differently? Am I missing my breaks? Am I missing healthy meals? Am I drinking enough water, taking my vitamins, getting rest? And usually the answer is no, I'm not doing any of those things. And my body is trying really hard to tell me that. I, I have a, a phrase I call pissed off body syndrome, which is how our body has an amazing array of signals that it can send us to tell us it doesn't like the way we're living. And uh, that's a good thing to pay attention to because when you don't pay attention to it, all of those things you're doing to manage or you know, maybe numb from the stress can really take you down into an emergency mode that it's hard to get out of. I, I think that is so true. And I will tell you, one of the things that, that, since you brought that up, that I really do not allow myself to do is sit in front of the TV and eat. Yeah. Just because I know I will eat twice as much, you know, especially if it's chips and salsa, come on. But if I'm sitting there not being entertained while I eat and I'm just focusing and being present on eating, then when I'm full, I'm like, okay, I'm full. And I'm also very bored. So, you yes. know, I'm, yes. sometimes I'm like, why do I even have to eat? This just stinks, you know? Um, you do it because you it's have so to. It's so funny. But yeah. And, and this is, again, our society, which is like nonstop distraction, multitasking, stress, time, sense, time, poverty. And those things just do incline us to eat in ways that are unconscious, really unhealthy, unnourishing and unsatisfying. And I think when we don't have a satisfying eating experience, we tend to just go in search of food faster, mm -hmm. you know, and generally in less healthy ways. Um, but again, I want to emphasize that's a setup. That is the setup of the society we live in that has us scrambling all of the time and has our priorities getting dictated by outside. And a big part of healthy deviance is learning how to honor your own internal priorities, recognizing that if my health is important to me, much like your friend you described, I do need to set up structures that are going to fly in the face sometimes of expectations, out of normal expectations, but that will serve me and allow me to show up and give my own best gifts. And again, I think for someone who's looking for a job or looking for a new job, this is a really healthy attitude to hold that if you allow yourself to be sucked into the lowest common denominator, uh, I'll take a job, any job, no matter what it asks of me, mm -hmm. and you aren't holding on to this idea that I am a worthwhile person with worthwhile gifts and my best gifts deserve to be protected by taking care of the container, taking care of the body and the mind, it's really easy to spend a big chunk of your life in a very ungratifying way and wake up one day with your life nearly over or entirely over, maybe you don't wake up at all mm -hmm. <laughs> and have a lot of regrets. Um, you know, Stephen Covey talks about sharpening the saw and realizing that everything else you want to do depends on you having a strong, healthy body mind. That it's as that degrades, as your shot, your straw, be, your your saw becomes dull, everything gets harder. So the small amount of effort you have to invest on the front end in keeping your instruments healthy, your body mind healthy, really pay off in amazing ways. It's just easy to forget that in the society we live in right now.
Absolutely. So I want to ask, okay, so we've talked about it from the job seeker point of view. Let's look at the employer side of you. So when it comes to a busy and successful working environment, what are some ways leadership can provide a healthy environment for themselves and for their employees? Yeah. Wow. Again, great question. I think you know, I, I give presentations a lot about what I call healthy deviant leadership, this exact topic about how do you move a culture in the direction of health? And as a leader, how do you emphasize and build healthy perspectives, philosophies, practices into the business. Because too often corporations have what they call corporate wellness bolted on from the outside in ways that are just totally inconsistent with the way they're trying to operate on a daily basis. So the first thing that I usually recommend is first, you know, make it about the money if you need to. But if you're hiring for, if hiring people and paying them to be in your business, don't you want them to be operating at their highest capacity, not at a diminished half-masked kind of level? Do you care about your healthcare costs? Because if you do, setting up systems that encourage unhealthy behaviors is like a one-way ticket to chronic illness. And like I said, already more than 50% of the population is suffering from chronic illnesses, super expensive, particularly for self-insured folks. But you know, there's a lot of reasons monetarily um, at the most basic level to be thinking about that. Then there's things like recruiting and retention. Most health-motivated people tend to be really great performers. People who have figured out how to manage that part of their life often have a lot going on and you're gonna want them in your business. But unhealthy companies have a hard time attracting and retaining health-motivated people. So anyone who gives at all a care about their health is going to find an advantage working within a company where culturally health matters, where systems are set up to support healthy daily rhythms and practices, where it becomes easier to make healthy choices while you're at work, <laughs> maybe even easier than it is at home. I mean, a lot of bigger companies like Google, for example, have invested hugely in that, somewhat mixed results, I think, um, because the stress is too high in a lot of those organizations. Uh, but ultimately, what I would say is for any organization which is wanting to attract and retain and get the best out of talented people, creating a culture of health, of healthy support, of healthy practices, healthy patterns of work is really important. This really begins at a level that surprises people. It's not just the snacks in the break room. Too often people just put like rabbit food in the refrigerator and hope for the best. We got carrot sticks. It's a healthy company. <laughs> you know, we've got diet drinks instead of regular soda. That is not the approach I recommend. Though I actually begin with the rhythms of work. You talked about it, I think, instinctively, Casey, which is like people cannot work from eight o'clock in the morning until eight at night and still have a life. They can't work from even nine to five without having breaks, without courting inflammation, frustration, reactivity, mistakes. There's a lot of research. I mentioned earlier the ultradian rhythm breaks, taking these periodic mm -hmm. breaks throughout the day, recognizing that our peak performance periods are followed by a trough. And that low energy, low focus period, which we've all experienced, usually about 10.30 in the morning and about 2.30 in the afternoon, people are not operating well anymore because <laughs> they haven't had breaks. When they take those breaks, what happens is your body and your mind do all of the important behind the scene tasks that they need to do to return you to high productivity, high creativity, high focus. I've consulted with a lot of organizations where they've experimented with instituting and encouraging these breaks and the results that they have are incredible, not just around creativity and productivity and focus, but morale 
yep. goes way up. Uh, you know, people find their inflammation is getting better. Their A1C levels and blood sugars are balancing. Unwanted weight is drifting off of them without a lot of effort. Their meetings are going better. Uh, and so these are simple things. And there are many, many more. But that's just an example of a practice that corporate wellness can't institute for the organization. There have to be leaders who are willing to give these things a try, experiment with them themselves, and model those healthier choices. Giving people real access to see them struggling too. It's not easy to do this. And I think oh, being more open about the fact that I'm trying to do this because I think it's best for me and for the company, and I want to help you do it too. That would be a profoundly powerful message for a leader to send. And they need encouragement to do it <laughs> in many cases. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And that I think is the perfect question to end this interview on other than our VIP questions. So are you ready for those? Hit me, I'm ready. All right. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? <laughs> this question, the only answer I could come up with, because I would never be one of those people who volunteered. I love the planet Earth and I love my place in it here. The person I would most want with me was someone who could get me back to Earth. It would be the person who could get my return ticket booked or somehow help me construct a mechanism for returning, or alternatively, someone who could help me create a very Earth-like atmosphere on that planet. Um, even if it was a virtual <laughs> version of that experience, I am born and bred of this place and I choose to live in my relationship with nature on this planet. I would be a fish out of water on Mars and I have no desire to go there. Bless all of the Mars seekers, uh, Musk and others, uh, but it is not my goal in life to end up there. <laughs> so it would all be about getting back in my mind. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, we've actually had people refuse the trip. Yeah, so I would refuse the trip. Okay. There's no way I would go. Absolutely not. Not a good use of my time and energy and highly inflammatory. Space travel really messes with your body mind. So I'm not interested in getting away from gravity right now. I, I completely get that. Just even getting up to 35, 40,000 feet messes with my body. Absolutely. So bad. Okay, so what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Mm. Well, I referenced my morning minutes practice, mm -hmm. and I'll give you just a little bit more detail about a few quirks of that practice. Like I said, one is that the first and only really important rule is that I will not touch this for at yep. least the first three minutes after I wake up. For me, it's actually more like 30. That's when I start to feel capable of relating to this machine or my laptop or an iPad without losing my mind. When you wake up in the morning, you're in a different brainwave state called a theta state. So for me, protecting my waking state and honoring my own body and mind in those first few moments is an absolutely important thing. I, I light a beeswax candle and I get my coffee because I think those are sensually delightful practices and they create a ritual environment around it. Um, that practice alone for me has been life-changing and it's one of the most significant differences that I hear from people practicing this healthy deviant way of life comes from them embracing this practice even just for a few days in a row. They're like, I cannot believe what a big difference that makes. So morning minutes practice. I love it. Okay. My final question for you, if your life story was being, um, wow, how did I just forget that question? If your life story was being recorded in a news article, what would the headline be? Mm. I think she dared to help people master the art of being healthy in an unhealthy world. 
that's what I would like it to be. I think yeah. that sums you up perfectly. How do people find you? Well, the easiest way is through my website, healthydeviant.com or any of my social channels. But if you go to healthydeviant.com, you can get a free book preview of my book and you can get a link to the, are you a healthy deviant quiz, which is a great way to yep. find out more about what healthy deviance really means. Uh, as long, along with a whole fleet of other resources, video, audio, podcasts, all my, my whole body of work sort of is based in there. I will say too, I also have a healthy deviant Facebook group, which has about 2,500 people in it now. So you're not alone. If you want to be a healthy deviant surrounded by other healthy deviants, I would love to invite you to join that group as well, Healthy Deviant on Facebook. That is so awesome. This has been so much fun. I've loved every single conversation I've had with you. I'm looking forward to more. But for now, I just have one last thing to say to you. Go. You are a VIP. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a pleasure to spend this time with you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.